Hello, 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 it is Old Testament Thursday. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are glad you are joining us. We have lots of stuff to cover. This is quite a reading assignment that we have today. But first, the coffee of the week from my variety pack. I have Green Mountain Dark Magic. Dark Magic. That's awesome. I don't have an ooh, any ooze. Ooh, ah, I gotta try to find one of those, but... Uh, let's get ready to rumble! That wasn't the one I wanted. I wanted this one. There you go. <laughs> Dark Magic. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dark Magic we got from Green Mountain. And the flavor, it's a little more bold. So it, it does say howdy. There's no question about it, but it is good. It has a good flavor. Green Mountain is usually pretty good flavor, but it's a, it's a dark magic. So there you go, and that gives me a chance to tell you about our coffee mugs available uh, at Wake Up to the Word. You can get your very own coffee mug. Looks like that. Look at that blue interior. I ordered it because it had blue inside. It was very lovely. But you can get your own. You can go to... Uh, um, Wake up to the word, and you can order there. We we uh, do do uh, payments through Zelle, and if you live in the area, I just I just hand it to you. I got some in stock already, so you can order yourself one of those. And uh, I think it's Zelle. I think that's what we have. It's on the website, so you can do it. You can do it there. So uh, what else? Oh yeah, in the background, the red, the red. Somebody sent me a red T-shirt with wake up to the uh, wake up to the word picture. My logo. On my mug here, wake up, wake up to the see the see the T-shirt in the back, same logo. They they scarfed it off of my uh, website. I'm sure. It's it looks like a Bob and Cindy. I'm gonna say that's the culprit. They're the same people that got my mug, which is right there with my face on it. And I love the T-shirt. And I was looking at it. I was like, oh, it's a cool T-shirt. I'm gonna wear it. And I turned it around, and it's got my face on the back. <laughs> I can't do that to people. I, I, I'm already walking around with this face. I don't want them to see the, my face on the back. Stacy said she might wear it to bed. So, <laughs> so uh, thank you, whoever gave me the gift. I like it. Um, uh, received it, and uh, uh, I might give it a might give it to Stacy because I'm not wearing a T-shirt with my own face on it. It's just not, not gonna. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, that's just funny. It's not gonna happen, but I appreciate it uh, very much. Okay. Um. <coughs> oh, there's my laughter track. It's about the same thing, yeah. So, all right. So, uh, ready to read our reading for this week is Exodus, our Old Testament reading, Exodus 23 through 30. So seven chapters of Exodus, and they couldn't be any thicker. Let me tell you, there's so much there. We're never going to get through all of it. I'm going to pick out some spots to it. So uh, let's... Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Here we go. Here we go. 
23 talks, it's, it finishes up from the uh, laws of social justice, so talks about some of the interactions there with people and property and things like that. So uh, we have um, laws about the Sabbath festivals, and so Sabbath and festivals. So one thing you notice is this, this the Sabbath principle uh, comes up not just for the days of the week. It's not just for six days you shall work and on the seventh day you shall rest. It's not just about that. There's for your land, for your, for your, for your crops, for your vineyards, for your olive orchards, you need to take that seventh, seventh day of seven year Sabbath. So six years you plant in a, in a, in a field and then you give it the seventh off. You let it grow wild. You let it grow free. You let the animals graze in it. You let people uh, glean, glean from it. Um, <clears throat> if there's, uh, you know, the wild plants that, that, that come up, that might be uh, some of the crop that was there and it's and it going to come up on its own. Um, you let the people, the, the, the poor and, the, and the, them work from that land they can take what they can take and, and they can have it and you let the land have a sabbath from being cultivated from being worked and uh they um people who had land would would separate their parcels into uh groups of uh of six or seven and uh every year they would give one parcel the year off so it would rotate around and then they would always have one field on sabbath and they'd have the rest of the fields um doing the work and so they would always have a crop they wouldn't have a year without anything so that's the the wisdom of uh farming and har harvesting then in that uh in that same section of of chapter 23 it says pay attention to all that I have said to you, this is verse 13, make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is the word Elohim. And we've talked about this again and again and again. There are Elohims in the land that they're occupying. They've taken over the land. They're, 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 uh, they're desiring worship from the people, the surrounding peoples. <coughs> Sorry, <coughs> and um, and so uh, then he talks about after he after he warns them, don't take the names of these gods, and and so don't 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 speak their name, don't use their name. So then it says uh, three times a year you have the feast. The, the, this. Uh, Past Sunday and the Sunday before, Pastor Mike and I talked about, and last Wednesday, we talked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's a seven-day feast that is connected right to Passover. So Passover is one day. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is this, the following seven days. And uh, and then the, 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 the Sunday... Um, the, the Sunday, the, the first day of the week of the unleavened bread is actually the beginning, the first fruits day of the following, um, the following feast, which is the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labor. So that <clears throat> feast is actually later, but there's a first fruits 
day, the first day, and that's with the day that Jesus rose from the dead is the first fruits day, and he's we know that he's the first fruits of our resurrection. So his his uh his uh sacrifice, his triumphal entry, his 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 uh his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection is all connected to these feasts. And so uh <clears throat> and there's another feast called you keep the feast of the ingathering. And so that sounds very much uh, like something um, we might want to pay attention to for Christ's return. So um, <clears throat> we'll talk more about that uh, as there's more details on it. But um, this is just the general word of keeping the feasts. Um, now we have, uh, when we, co we come to the end of 23, I think it's the end of 23. Yeah, towards the end, well, it's the conquest of Canaan promised. He says, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on your way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. This is uh, Malak, the, uh, Malak, the, uh, the, the Hebrew word for messenger, angel, used as angel. Uh, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So this is often something <clears throat> that is used. And then in 23, it says, when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods. Again, Elohim. And then... 25 says, you shall serve the Lord your God, Yahovah Elohim, the Lord your God. Very specific terminology used for Almighty God, used for Jehovah God, used for the Creator God. Very specific terms because Elohim is used for other gods as well. So uh, this uh, use of this angel We've heard of the angel of the Lord, and we've we've seen in this, pay, um, pay attention, this angel has my name in him. So <clears throat> they're, they're, they're getting an understanding of the uh, multiplicity within the Godhead, okay? And they will start to use the term angel of the Lord. God will use the term for them, angel of the Lord, my angel, the angel with my name. And the Jews actually refer to him as the other Yahweh, Yahweh or the second Yahweh. And so um, there's a Yahweh we see and there's a Yahweh we, that we don't see. There's a Yahweh in heaven. There's a Yahweh here, his presence, the presence of Yahweh. And so they start to see at the very least a dichotomy of Yahweh. And they will later discover the triuneness, the trinity of the Godhead. So, uh, and it, and it, and the last part of, ver of chapter 23, it says, you shall make no covenant with them and their gods. Now, you know, I used to just think that the, the gods were, they're made up, they're they're what they worship. They're figments of their imagination. They're people. They people long to worship, so they make up something to worship. And those things are true. Those things do happen. But we understand that there are these lesser Elohim's that have re desired worship and and moved in with people and and uh, manifested themselves with people. And so, 
this covenant part of it makes you think this is what they're dealing with here because you shall make no covenant with them and their gods. You can't make a covenant with something that doesn't exist. You can you can make the covenant, but it's not any kind of binding covenant because it doesn't exist. This seems to be something that does exist. It seems to be that there's a, you make that covenant and it is a dereliction to God. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a smack in his face because your covenant, especially Israel here, the covenant is supposed to be with uh, Jehovah God, with Yahweh, because <clears throat> he's called this people, Israel, to himself, just like he's called us uh, believers, Christ followers, to himself. So now we get to 24, and there's a covenant confirmed, and Moses is going to go up, back up to the mountain. He's going to get a bunch of instructions again. He's going <clears> to <throat> write some things down. He's given instructions to go up with Aaron and uh, the and 70 elders. <clears throat> Very interesting number. There's 70 elders that are going to go up the mountain with him. They're going to go partially up. They're not going to go all the way up with him. But 70 elders are going to go up in representation of Israel. And 70 is about is similar number to the nations all the way back before the Tower of Babel. The nations that came from Ham, Shem, and Japheth. 70 nations there. And then it talks also about um, the, uh, the rebelling Elohim. Uh, seems to be that same number, that 70 number, because then we get to the New Testament, and we'll get to that when we get to it, but I'll point it out here. Jesus sends out 70. Two by two, he sends out 70 disciples, 70 followers, to go and declare the kingdom of God is at hand. This 70 number seems to be uh, a direct correlation to the rebellions uh, he gets he gets uh, his his uh, elders his group of elders that are going to respond to the rebelling spirits, and so the correlation is there. So Moses and Aaron and Abihu and the seventy elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Now obviously they're going to see uh, Christ, who's making an appearance the God of Israel. They're not seeing the holiness of God. They would die if they saw God the Father, the holiness of God. Um, and then Moses went up by himself into the top of the mountain. This is the end of 24. It says, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This 40 days and 40 nights is a, is a completion, a, day, uh, um, a number of completion, because uh, uh, 40 days and 40 nights was the uh, rain for 40 days. That was a, a, a complete judgment on the earth. Um, 40 days he went up to the mountain, a, a complete job of getting the assignment from God. And uh, we have uh, Christ in the desert 40 days, and that is a, a complete test uh, uh, for him. So that 40 days is that number of completion. So now we come to the Ark of the Covenant and they're making the Ark of the Covenant. And this, <clears throat> we see this uh, presentation again and again and again, everything being made out of acacia wood, because we have the Ark of the Covenant. We have uh, the uh, several things here. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a tickle. Table for the bread, golden lampstands, 
and the tabernacle on 26. It's 25 and 26. I don't know if that blocked it, but we'll see. But um, the Ark of the Covenant is, uh, they shall make it an Ark of Acacia wood, Acacia wood, and uh, gives all the dimensions, all the specifics, and the poles that they carry it is supposed to be made out of Acacia wood, and uh, then it, then it uh, it's put together, it's lined with gold, it gives all the details here, two cubits uh, and a half in length, and, and cubits and a half in breadth, and so it gives all the, all the measurements of the of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, but it's made out of acacia wood. And then as we keep moving, I'm going to come back in a second. Uh, the tabernacle, uh, they're making the framing and the poles. That's all out of acacia wood. And uh, the, the tabernacle frames, uh, the bars of acacia wood, and uh, they just keep using that acacia wood. And it's actually, the word acacia wood is referenced 29 times. In Exodus and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Joel, uh, all these things constructed out of acacia wood. Why acacia wood? Very seems to be an important wood. I got a uh, link for you in Jeff's stack of stuff about acacia wood on Got Questions. Acacia wood is <clears throat> it's really cool wood. It's very dense. It's, uh, it's, it's a wood of the area that's very dense, very strong, very durable resistant to uh, insects because of its density. It's resistant to rot because of the grains and the density of it. It's resistant to any bacteria staying on it because of its density. It's a very durable wood and <clears throat> it's used to build the poles and the stanchions for the tabernacle and even for uh, parts of the, uh, obviously for the Ark of the Covenant and for some of the tables and the altars, it's uh, that acacia wood is used in all of those, all of those references. And as far as the word of God is concerned, they didn't replace any of these things. They lasted for four, the tabernacle lasted for 400 years. And the tabernacle was basically the mobile temple. You've seen a uh, uh, mash uh, mobile army surgical hospital. This is the mobile temple of God. And so um, this is before they, Solomon built the temple, the tabernacle was the temple. It was had all the courts. It has all the dimensions. We'll go to that right now. <clears throat> but um, the, the uh, uh, 26 has the temple. I'm going to back up a little bit. Sorry, I'm going to stay in 25. There's one little detail I wanted to pick out, jumped out at me, don't know why, just did. Um, it says, uh, starting at 19, it says, make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. This is about building the Ark of the Covenant uh, of one piece. With the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on it. On its two ends, the cherubim shall spread out their wings above the overshadowing, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from the and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I have given you in, in commandment for the people of Israel. All right. <clears throat> We've all seen the picture of, or the renditions of the ark of the covenant. 
and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you saw it, and then you go on, you can Google it, and images, Ark of the Covenant, you'll see all kinds of pictures. But here's the thing. We are talking to people who have been in Israel, and now they're led out of Israel, and he's telling them to carve out of gold two cherubim. This begs you to understand or realize they would need to know what cherubim looked like. And apparently, it wasn't an issue. They knew what cherubim looked like. They must have seen cherubim. They must have been aware of cherubim. They must have uh, observed cherubim uh, because it doesn't seem to be an issue for them to be able to carve the issue. Obviously, the uh, Holy Spirit moving in the craftsmen is part of that process for detail and things like that. But <clears throat> they seem to understand that. Uh, then we go to the golden lampstand at the end of 25, and then the tabernacle. They're building the tabernacle. And uh, again, the, the, the cherubim term there, it says, uh, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. So we got, again, the cherubim are in the curtains. Uh, the length of the curtains, 28 cubits. And we go down and it, says, it keeps going about the acacia wood for the poles and the loops, the golden loops and all of the things, the, whole, the clasps, 50 clasps made of gold and a couple of the curtains to the clasps and the uh, tabernacle be a single, uh, single hole. You shall make the curtain of goat hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. The breadth of it shall be four cubits. The eleven curtain shall be the same size you shall and then it goes on it keeps talking about um make the uprights in the framework this is all in 26 and make them out of acacia wood and then it says you shall make bars of acacia wood five for the frame and one for the side and five bars for the frame one other side for the tabernacle the five bars for the frames of the sides and the tabernacle at the rear uh, of the westward and um then it talks about the veil, 31, verse 31, starting at verse 31 of chapter 26. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it. You shall hang it on the four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil with the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate you from the holy place, from the holy, from the most holy place. And you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle, opposite the table. And you shall put the table, <coughs> excuse me, on the north side you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework and you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them and then you make the altar of acacia wood that's 27 
And then they have the tabernacle and the court and how big the courts are. And, uh, <clears throat> and the detail, the amazing detail for everything. And this is supposed to be a representation, an earthly representation of the courtyard, the temple, the tabernacle in heaven uh, where God rests. <clears throat> so this is why the detail is, is there and why the precious metal is used. And so then in 28, it gets to the priest's garments and all that he wears. And the, the most unique thing here, and probably where the questions are going to come, are the ephod. Uh, the, the, uh, he gets the ephod of gold, and it's a breastplate that goes over his shoulders, wears it in front, and they have all these jewels here. Uh, sardius, topaz, carbuncle, emerald, sapphire, diamonds, adjacent, agate, amethyst, beryl, onyx, and jasper. And there's four rows of uh, three, 12 stones, each representing the 12 tribes of Israel. <clears throat> and inside there's a pouch inside there. And you may have read as you come down, um, chapter 28, I'll start at verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the name of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of the judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance for the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, that's the ephod, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be on Aaron's heart. So it's inside, it's underneath, it's up here in his chest. When he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue. So it's got all the colors there. It tells you what it's for. And then the biggest question is, what is the Urim, Urim and the Thummim? And uh, I'll try to, I'm going to put something in the stack of stuff, uh, a picture of the uh, Ur, uh, what's thought to be a picture, because it, it's really hard finding information about what it is. And, and they're, they, they, uh, they seem to be, Two different colored, smooth stones, words on them. Uh, they're, they're smoothed out. They're identical. So you cannot tell which one is which inside the pouch. But this is where they stay, in there near your heart. <clears throat> and it seems that they are to, uh, almost like a lot casting system. That God determines these things near your heart. You pray. You ask your question. You pull out one of the stones and you get either the umin or the thermin. And so that will determine. It's not just a yes or no. There's 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 nuances to it, and I'm not exactly sure about it. I'll give a doc and a picture. Uh you'll see that next to the um acacia wood. Uh and this is all for this episode, and that'll be in Jeff Stacker stuff at uh wake up to the word dot org so um then we get to the altar of incense and again we're making that this is chapter 30 this is our last chapter again we're making that out of acacia wood making the poles out of acacia wood and then we start uh, a census tax when you take the census of the people then each shall give a ransom for his life to the lord when you number them 
that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one is an, is numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. <clears throat> half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. <clears throat> so essentially, this is the temple tax, and it is used to keep things going. So... Uh, then we have the anointing that goes on, and that's the end of our chapter. Um, this concoction that's made for the for the sweet smelling uh, spice and anointing oil that they use. So, all right, that's our episode for today. Episode Old Testament twenty nine, I believe. Old Testament twenty nine. We are so glad you joined us today, and we hope that you will join us tomorrow for New Testament Friday, episode 30. So have a great, great weekend, and we'll see you tomorrow. And Arnold says that he, that we I'll will, be back. Uh, we know that, Arnold. We know that we'll be back, and it will be tomorrow. So love you guys. Whoever did it, thanks for the t-shirt. <laughs> we, we will see you next time.